Today's message is absolutely amazing. It is going to be a milestone sermon. It's, it's from my beautiful wife. It, it, come on up, honey. I guess it's better than being called ugly wife, right? Here's my ugly wife. Thank you, honey, for that introduction. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys? I'm sorry. Let's do that again. How are you guys? The the 9.30 service beats your pants off. How are you guys? Okay, that's better. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, If I seem a little out of it today, I know it's not really different than how I usually am, but (laughs) um, my daughter last night was like, She's like, I don't feel so good, Mom. My stomach feels kind of icky. So, and I, Mommy had the stomach flu on Monday. And so, um, so the whole night, basically, I had put her in bed with us, <clears throat> put her on the outside of the bed, put a big towel down on her side of the bed, and put a trash can. And so every time she, like, would twitch or move, I was like, oh, she's going to puke. She's going to puke. She's going to do it. So anyway, so I, I'm functioning on, like, two hours of sleep. So if I say stuff that's not, you know appropriate or I mumble my words. Just give me a little extra grace today. Well, good morning again. (laughs) Um, Today, we are going to be, you know, we're in this series about catching God's dream and what does it mean to dream according to to God's vision for our lives. And so what I want to talk about today and kind of zero in on is, is what do we do when God gives us a dream, right? And then we wait. Five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 25 years, 30 years, 40 years goes by, 50 years goes by. What do we do? How do you, how do we, how do I, how do we manage that? How do we cope with the waiting? When we know that God said, this is, I have this for you to do. And I'm not talking about dream like, I'm going to live in a mansion that's got, um, (laughs) I don't know, you know, like what, what? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, I'm, God's going to give me a like, yellow Lamborghini. Like, what, what do you do? I'm not talking about dreams or visions like that, but maybe God's like, I want you to use your artistic ability to minister to inner city kids or, what, or whatever, you know, go feed the hungry or, you know, start a literacy program in your neighborhood, whatever, okay? It's something where God has um, put that in your heart, and it's not to be used for our purpose or our advancement, but God's like, I want you to take this and use it to bless my kingdom, bless my people, okay? And so what happens is we wait, and we wait, we wait, we wait, and nothing comes to fruition. That's what we're going to look at today is what do we do with that? How do we, how, do we, how do we thrive in those circumstances? Okay, so what I thought would be a, an appropriate uh, visual compliment to this sermon is this painting here. It's, this is by um, an artist named Bansky. How many of you guys have heard of Bansky? Some of us. Okay. Artist is probably a, a loose interpretation. He's considered a graffiti guy. However, his artwork now sells, and uh, he's got a huge celebrity following. Brad Pitt is like a big buyer of his stuff. And anyways, his stuff goes for lots of money now. He, he actually paints on canvases now as opposed to public property. So, But he did this. Uh, usually his stuff is um, just really rife with um, political and socioeconomic commentary, okay? So this showed up, in, and he's a Brit, 
so he, he's done stuff internationally. Like, <laughs> there'll be like a street corner in Singapore with his stuff on it. This was found in Boston, Massachusetts in uh, 2010 in Chinatown. And it was kind of a commentary um, on, uh, you know, it says, follow your dreams, right? And then it's stamped, canceled. And so it was kind of a commentary on the, 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 the uh, immigrant population there in Chinatown. And, you know, how has Boston helped these people to kind of come up? You know, what are they doing? So I thought, well, that's kind of appropriate. If we feel, for us, some of us, I know I have, um, I have felt like God said, here's a dream I'm giving you, right? And we're like, okay, all right, so that was a dream. And then it's like, life happens, right? You get a, you get a, you get, you, you get a baby. You have a baby. <laughs> yeah, right, right? <laughs> you have a baby. Um, or, you know, you, you get a mortgage payment, or you lose your job, or you get a bad health diagnosis, or your spouse gets laid off, or you're trying to put your kids through college, or whatever. It goes on, and your car breaks down, and, or you've had money saved, whatever, right? It's like life happens. And so maybe instead of seeing life for technicolor, technicolor life, you know, in like 3D, you ever guys, I sat in one movie that was 3D, and I got sick. I had to get up and leave. It was like too much. But, okay, let's just say that. And there's like surround sound, and the seats move and vibrate, right? And you're just like, whoa, that's how life was. To like seeing life on a small black and white screen, right? It's like life has kind of somehow sucked the life out of us and the vision that we had that God's put in there and said, you're going to do this one day. I want you to do this, right? <laughs> well, if you're feeling like that, you're in good company, um, as we look at the Bible, there's lots of uh, biblical leadership, people that were in authority that God used, that God raised up, where they had similar experiences. God told them and said, this is a dream I have for your life. And they waited for years, years and years and years. One of them is Jacob. Jacob kind of did this on his own, but he messed things up at the house, right? The family relationship, kind of stole the blessing from his brother, and his brother's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to find you, and I'm going to kill you. As soon as dad passes away, I'm going to find you, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to make it painful. So he's on the run for 34 years, right? Okay? And then he wrestles with God at the end of that time. Moses left the life of an Egyptian prince, right? He was educated. He had the best of the best, right? He had people, like, cleaning out the junk from under his fingernails and stuff and washing out his underwear. I mean, he just, he had it made, right? The best of the best, so he decides he's going to make things right because he finds out that he's Jewish, and he kills an Egyptian captain, or not captain, but guard. And uh, God's like, okay, you know what? You need a cooling off period. I'm going to send you to the countryside for 40 years. God's like, you need to chill out for 40 years before you, you will set my people free. You need a big time out, right? Okay. So then there's David, who is told one day, you will be the next king, of Israel, and like within the course of a couple days, and he marries into the royal family, right? Marries David's daughter. His father-in-law goes bonkers and tries to kill him. <laughs> so this guy who's had the blessing on him, God's like, you are chosen out of everybody. You will lead my people. He's living out of ditches and caves for the next four years because his father-in-law is trying to kill him, okay? Waiting there. And then there's Joseph, right? Technicolor, dream coat guy, right? His brothers <laughs> send him off to slave traders. He, he's in jail for 20 years, basically. He just sits there for 20 years. 
And by jail, this is not like, a, there's not air conditioning, there's not like a nice little latrine area and running water. Like, the prisons back in the ancient Near Eastern world were just holes with a hole to go potty. I mean, it was just horrible. Horrible, dank conditions. Horrible. Horrible. So, Joseph sits there for 20 years. Can you imagine? All these, these men, and I'm sorry to say at this point, this is, there's no women in this lineup, but all these men here, God has, in a big way, said, this is, your, this is my dream for your life. This is where you're going to go in your life. You're going to go places with me pushing you. <laughs> you know, I need you to do this big job for me, right? All of them. And they sit for years how would you feel? I don't, maybe you've been in their shoes. I know I have, you know. Probably the, one of the biggest examples of this is Abraham. We all know Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons, many sons. Okay, I'm not going to sing for you guys the whole full song, but I will do it after the service if you'd like. But um, so Abraham is something, he's a part of a people group called the Hurrians, okay? And so he lives... Um, he's kind of like a prince in his own right. His father, Terah, is a wealthy, wealthy man. Lots of property, lots of cattle, okay? So this guy's wealthy. He's set up. He's got lots of influence in the area, right? And uh, Abraham is, is the next in line. He's going to take over the family business, the enterprise, the operation, and run, run the whole show, right? That's how it goes in the ancient Near Eastern world. And God comes along to Abraham. Guess what? Not when he's 15 or 25 or 35 or 45 or 55 or 65. When he's 75 years old, he's like, guess what? I am calling you out. I want you, I'm going to have you, I'm going to start a new people group through you. And through your people group, you are going to bless the entire world. How's that for a dream from God? <laughs> Whoa. And on top of it, God's like, the land that you're leaving is one day going to be the land that the, the people that, I, that, you, that you're the father of, is gonna, they're going to come back and repossess the land. Okay, so God's got big dreams for Abraham and his people. Problem is, we're going to get to this, uh, Abraham is 75 years old. His wife is 10 years younger, so she's 65, which is, you know, even nowadays in the modern world with all the technology we have, Getting a woman pregnant at 65 is probably not going to happen, even with all the, the greatest technology that we have. It just, But God's like, guess what? Your wife is going to get pregnant and give birth to the heir, and that's going to start the, the, the Jewish line, right? Only problem is she is barren. Sarah is barren. And in the ancient Near Eastern culture, there's nothing worse for a woman you could be a harlot and you would have more um, social clout than if you were a married woman and you couldn't produce kids. That was just like, because it was, a, it was that's, that's just, that was the economy back then. The more kids you had, the more influence you wielded. That was just how it worked. So God's told this man at 75, you're going to leave your land, your family land, your identity, everything that you own, which was a big no-no back in the day. It wasn't... It was like to be a nomad, to live in a, a nomadic lifestyle, if you had a title, land, and property, people thought you were nuts. Like, why would you leave that to go be a, a nameless, faceless person and just wander the, the road? Why would you do that? 
when you have influence. You have, um, his dad had trading partnerships set up. I mean, this guy, they, Abraham had it, he was set up for life, right? And God comes along, he's like, I'm going to call you out, and I'm going to give you an heir <laughs> through your barren wife. And you will start this new uh, people group that's going to bless the entire world. Okay, so just let's put that on for size. Let's actually read the scripture so you're not like, Mako's making stuff up. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn, or you can read up on the screen, but Genesis 12, 1 through 3. <coughs> now the Lord said to Abraham, I know this says Abram, but I'm tired. And I'm just going to go with Abraham for right now because he changes his name down the road, but we'll just say it's Abraham, okay? All right, so now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Verse 2. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so shall be your blessing. So ends be a blessing, okay? And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is a pretty tall, tall wow that God's dropping on this guy, <laughs> at 75, okay? So what we're going to do, too, is because the story of uh, Abraham takes up 13 chapters in Genesis. That's about a quarter of the book of Genesis. We're not going to go and read all of the chapters about Abraham, but what I'm trying to do is pick out high points that we're going to go back and revisit about uh, Abraham. Okay, <clears throat> so let's move on then to the next kind of pinpoint on this storyline, which is Genesis 15, 1 through 21. Okay, now, um, by this point, about I don't know, eight years has passed, okay? And <clears throat> Abraham has been obedient. He's left his father's land. He's packed up everything, brought the whole caravan with him, everybody, right? Livestock, everything. Okay, so they're traveling. Sarah's still barren, <laughs> And so by this point in time, we're going to read this here, Genesis 15. Um, Abraham's faith is kind of, you can hear the desperation in his voice a little bit. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and read, if you have it in your Bibles. This is uh, Genesis 15, 1. Um, After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Now, mind you, in the, in the previous chapter, Abraham has just beat out these kings in this area. He just whooped up on them, okay? Uh, this small contingent of his men, 300 men, went up against thousands of trained soldiers, and they whooped them up, okay? <clears throat> so Abraham's coming off of that victory, right? And so he says, so he's having this conversation with God, right? God's like, I got your back, I got you, don't worry about anything. Verse 2, but Abram said to God, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? It was common back in the day, if you could not produce a son naturally, sons were the only heirs, you're, if you had a servant, the eldest son of your servant, you adopted them, they became the heir to, your, your, to, you know, to keep your line going. So that's what he's talking about here. Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. You can almost hear in his voice the exasperation and the desperation, right? He's like, God, I'm not getting any younger, and my wife isn't either. Hello? 
what's going on here, God? I'm getting desperate. I'm getting nervous. I'm getting scared. There's no hope on the horizon. I don't see anything happening, God. And how does God respond? Now, verse 4. Now, the word of the Lord came to him. This one, referring to Eliezer of Damascus, will not be, an, will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. So then God takes him outside in verse 5, and he looks up at the sky, and he's like, do you see all those stars? That's how numerous your offspring will be. Okay, so verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. You need to underline this. This is just a little side note. This is the first time in the Bible where we see justification by faith. The first time in the Bible that this happens. Okay? This means that God, Abraham believed to such a point that it, God was like, all right, stamp of approval. You are a righteous man. You're not a little righteous, you're a righteous. Now, what happens? Let's go on to seven. He also said to him, this is God speaking to him, I am the Lord who brought you up from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, this is he, Abraham, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? And so what is God, how does God respond? Now, up until this point, God has been speaking to Abraham. He's like, don't forget, I'm going to give you this heir. Your, your, uh, your family is going to be so huge that they're going to become their own people group. They're going to become their own nation, right? So God keeps promising this to Abraham, but Abraham's like, at this point, he's kind of at a breaking point. He's like, do you not see? Do you not see? I'm not getting younger, and my wife's womb is still closed. What's going on, right? And so what does God do? Like, God's word is legit enough. In the Bible and other places, God swears by himself. He doesn't have to take an oath. He doesn't have to put his hand on the Bible. He's like, swearing by me is good enough because I am Yahweh. I am faithful to the end. There is no higher thing to swear by. I'm it, okay? But notice God's graciousness here with Abraham, verse 7, um, or verse 8. Sorry, 9. He said to him, so God said to Abraham, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these things to him, split them down the middle, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut up the birds. Verse 11, birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Okay, so Abraham nods off. He's still waiting on God. And we're just going to skip down to verse 17. But the sun had set and it was dark. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. And then he goes on to the other land boundaries in 19. What I want us to get, though, here is a scenario. This Abraham's just at his wit's end, right? He's desperate. He's exasperated. And God, in his graciousness, makes a covenant with him, as if God's word isn't good enough. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, this was how business got done. This was a legally binding um, agreement that they did. So what you did was, um, if you were going to do a covenant with, with people, you'd have 
usually just one animal was a blood sacrifice, one animal that was cut in half. The fact that God used five animals shows the importance and the heft of what's going on, the gravity of the situation, okay? So, so what would happen in a covenant is you take your, if you were doing a deal with, like, uh, let's say I was doing a deal with um, Heather. I'd say, Heather, I'm going to sell you my, my buggy, <laughs> my horse-drawn cart. Okay, fine. So we would cut the animal in half. She'd take my hand, I'd take hers, and we'd walk through it together, and that would seal the deal, Okay. But what does the text say? Who walks through the animals? Is it Abraham and God, or is it just God? It's just God. Verse 17, God appears as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Okay? Because God alone is faithful, he is, he is the only one that can uphold this agreement. He is the only one that can make this crazy, crazy dream come to fruition. He is the only one that can open up Sarah's barren womb. He is the only one that can grow a great nation out of Abraham's offspring. Nobody else can do this. And God's like, I guarantee this deal will work. I am the guarantor. I made the deal. I'm going to seal it. Done. Okay? All right. So, let us move on to verse or to chapter 16 now. Okay, so here we see that Abraham is a he, this is the first time that a person is justified by faith, right? Okay, and he's made this covenant with God that God is guaranteeing, right? We go to 16 and look what happens. Just want to shake him, but we've all been there before. Okay, so chapter 16, Genesis 16, verse 1. Abraham's wife Sarai had not borne him children. She owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sari said to Abram, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps I can have children by her. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. <coughs> this happened after uh, Abram had lived in the land of Canaan for 10 years. And that's important. God's like, get up, move your stuff. Okay, God, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to uproot. I'm going to cut myself off from everything I know. It's, it's, just, it's like if you lived here in Claremont and you have a, car, a house here, you own a car, your kids go to school here, you're, let's say, involved like in the PTA, you uh, work out at a local gym here, you do all this stuff, right? And God's like, guess what? Tear up your credit cards, give away the deed to your house, your car, everything. Pack everything up in the car that you're going to keep. We'll say we keep the car. Pack everything up, and I'm going to send you to a place that is foreign to you where you have no connections, no social clout, nothing. So Abraham's like, okay, God, I do that. So he, he tears up his social security card, everything, right? And he gets up, and he takes off. He's here in the land of Canaan for 10 years. 10 years is a good chunk of time, Okay. So he and Sarah are probably like, all right, we've been here for 10 years. There's no babies on the horizon. What's going on? Right? So his wife is like, look, obviously God's not going to come through. God's forgotten about us. Let's just, let's just do it for ourselves and get, get this taken care of. Because God obviously he put us on the back burner. He forgot. We're going to help God along, right? Okay. So verse 4. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. 
When she realized that she was pregnant, when Hagar was pregnant, she looked down on her mistress, that's Sarah. So Hagar is basically like, ha, 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 I have a fertile womb and you don't, okay? So there's tension there. It's not good. And if you've struggled with infertility, you know how painful it can be. You know how painful it can be. Um, Okay, so then Sarah in verse 5 said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. We could do a whole sermon on this, no jokes about how the husband listened to the wife and got in trouble. But Okay, but so she's like, she's just upset. She feels insulted. They've usurped God's authority in the situation, right? So what they do is they send her off. They send, um, well, actually, Sarah gets so enraged and she's so insulted and miffed at her servant that she beats the crud out of her is what happens. And so the servant that's supposed to have the baby inside of her that's going to become their heir, she takes off. She's like, I don't need this. I'm going to protect my child. And it was wrong what Sarah did to her. And just because it's in the Bible, this does not condone (laughs) abuse or anything. I just want to put that out there. It's not okay. Okay. And before you start thinking, oh, you know, before you start imagining um, Marvin Gaye's sexual healing and you see rose puddles maybe in champagne, you know, and you hear the bounce, check a bounce, bounce music in the background between Hagar and Abraham, that's not what's going on. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, if you had a, a maidservant who was a female and your wife was barren, the master of the house would sleep with the servant girl and she'd become pregnant. That child wasn't... She did not belong to the, the, the maidservant. It became property of the master and mistress of the home. So that's what's going on here. It was like surrogacy, like we have, how we have surrogacy nowadays. You know, if a couple can't get pregnant, they, you know, they put their embryos inside a, a woman that will, they call it what, just gestational host or something like that now, something clinical. But <coughs> so that's basically what's going on. It's not a romantic link up here. It is purely practical, purely pragmatic, and Sarah and Abraham are helping God out here, or so they think. But what ensues is a big mess. Hagar leaves, and she's upset, and she's weeping and crying. And Ishmael, you know, we've heard the, the phrase, give birth to Ishmael's. It's basically you give birth to a mess. You've made a mess. And God, in his graciousness, in spite of Abraham and Sarah messing things up, he blesses Ishmael, blesses Hagar, okay? All right. Now... So we have three little snapshots here from Abraham's life. God's given him a dream, and we see these little snapshots, and trust me, there are 20 more where those came from. These snapshots, though, along the way of what he did while he was waiting for God to fulfill this dream that God put in his heart. So let's see what lessons we can learn from here. Number one, how do we handle the waiting is what we're looking at. Number one, we're waiting for God to fulfill that dream in our lives that he's spoken into our lives We must ensure that we allow the right type of people to speak into our lives. That includes good friends that we've known for years. That includes family friends that we've grown up with. That includes um, good neighbors that we've had. That includes godparents, people that we respect. Here's the deal. If they are not godly people, and they're not wise people, you need to not give them your ear. Because people can be well-intentioned and speak into our lives, but if it's not coming from a godly place, if it's not coming from God, then we need to just be like, eh. Um, Sarah had a 
she was, she was trying to help her husband out, right? She was trying to help God out. God, we're going to help you out because we know you're busy. You've got the universe to run. We're going we're gonna to take care of this for you. We got it. And so Abraham bent his ear to his wife. This is his spouse. He's like, all right, you have a good point. Let's, yeah, let's make this happen. Because obviously God is not doing it for us and he forgot, right? We have to be careful who we listen to, what advice we take, who speaks into our lives. Um, I have a good friend from college, and uh, we've known each other about 25 years. <clears throat> and um, Josh and I went down there uh, for New Year's Eve and hung out, spent the night. We stayed up till 3 in the morning and watched Riddick. It was awesome. <laughs> but um, so the next morning, we take the kids to the, the park, and I'm talking with my friend Dana, and um, I was like, you know, I'm just kind of feeling... Like, God told me when I was younger, back in college, you're going to do these sorts of things for your life. And I'm like, I feel like a loser. I said, maybe I'm midlifing right now, but I said, I feel like I'm a loser. I'm doing nothing. I look at my friend, Dana. Um, she's got her doctorate. Schools all over the country are trying to recruit her to become a professor at their school. She's published. She does these international conferences. Um, people interview her for books. I mean, you get the picture. She's just like... And I'm like, ooh, what am I doing? <laughs> so I have this conversation. She defended her dissertation when she was eight and a half months pregnant. Like, that's the, she's just one of those people. All right, so I'm talking to her, and I'm like, I feel like I'm going nowhere in my life. Da, da, da. And she says, Mako, you remember years ago when we had a conversation, and you told me you felt like God had put a call, a, a call of ministry on your life? You were called to do ministry work? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing ministry work. She goes, okay, then shut up. She's like, you are walking in your calling, so what are you fussing about? Now, I trust Dana. We have lots of history. She's mainly on my side. We've seen each other through some very rough patches. We know each other inside and out, and I know that she has a heart that beats for Christ. So when she speaks, I'm going to listen to her. I'm going to take her advice. And you know what? It was the right advice. Because she's like, she kind of gave me a little kick in the pants. Or it's actually a big kick in the pants. <laughs> she's like, you are doing what God called you to do, so shut up and stop whining. <laughs> and we need to be careful. Now, if Dana wasn't somebody that was godly, that didn't know me well, she could have said, yeah, blow off this ministry junk. You're wasting your time. Go make money. Go do this. Go do that. But she was like, no, God called you to be doing what you're doing. So shut up about it. <laughs> Put your heart into it. Ask, ask God to give you a renewed passion. And I was like, wow, okay. And that helped. That helped, like, redirect me and get me back on the path again. So we, we have to be careful with the people that we allow to speak into our lives. Um, Psalm 1, 1 through 2 says, if you have your Bibles, um, Blessed is the man who has not walked in the counsel of the ungodly and has not stood in the way of sinners, and has not sat in the seat of scorners. Actually, in a couple of, in one of these chapters here, Sarah actually laughs at God. God comes down in human form. He's a visitor. And he's sitting there, and he's talking to um, Abram. And he's like, don't forget, I'm going to bless you with an heir from your own body, and your people will bless the rest of the nation. Okay? So Sarah overhears this, and she starts laughing. And God, who's sitting down with Abraham, they're having, like, tea, right? And God's like, I think I just heard your wife laugh. He's like, Sarah, did you just laugh? 
And Sarah's like, no, I didn't laugh, God. And Sarah's like, God's like, yes, yes, you did laugh. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't laugh. Abraham bent his ear to a, a, someone who was laughing at God, who was scorning God. And look what happened. All right, let's move on. <coughs> Number two, how do we get through the waiting period when it's really painful? Number two, we have to remind ourselves of God's ironclad faithfulness. Nothing can break God's faithfulness. Okay? We don't serve a sadistic God that's like, here's the dream. Haha, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> just kidding. Wouldn't this be nice to have? Haha, <laughs> just kidding. God's not like that. We serve a God who loves us, who's gracious. Okay. So in Genesis, you know, we don't have to get it up on the screen, but Genesis 15, 9 through 12, and then 17 through 21, the covenant that Abraham, that God makes with Abraham, God didn't have to do that. That was for Abraham's benefit. But God was gracious and was like, okay, look, I'm going to make this legally binding in your world, even though my word is binding enough. I created the heavens and the earth because of my word. But all right, let's do a covenant, right? Remind yourselves. And the only one that walked through that, that ratified that agreement, that covenant, wasn't Abraham and God. It was just God because only God is the one that can make that covenant a reality. He, could, he was the only one that could make those promises real. Abraham tried and he failed horribly, right? He gave birth to Ishmael. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, when you get to the point where you're like, God, you spoke this to me, but I feel like you're not being faithful, you're not coming through. I want you to remind yourselves the times that God has put money in your pocket or your bank account, the times that God has put food on your table when you needed it, the times that God has provided that right person, to, their shoulder to cry on when you're like, I can't take it anymore, I'm about to pop. The times that God has opened doors that were closed. The times that God provided the right doctor for you to go to, to get, to get that diagnosis that got you better. I want you to recount to yourself those times that when God was faithful. And that will help you get through those periods where you're like, where you laugh at God. You're like, God, surely you're not going to do this. God's like, I, I, yeah, this is what I'm in the business of doing. I mean, I think we forget sometimes that God created ex nihilo. He created the world out of nothing. He wasn't like, oh, there's a ball of clay. That's good. Perfect. I'm going to start with that. There's a little condensation. I'll make clouds out of that. Perfect. Okay, good. God just thought it. He brought it into being by speaking it. And if God has placed a dream in your heart, he has spoken it, and that's as good as done. The tricky part is waiting for us, right? I'm not the first one to say that. Okay, when, when um, in, in chapter 16, when, when Hagar and Abraham get together and they make a baby, <laughs> right? They don't hear from God for 13 years until, Abraham, or until Ishmael's 13. So in their heads, Abraham and Sarah are thinking, we did it. We helped God out. You know, we helped God out. God needed a little help. That's a long time, 13 years to not hear from God, especially when you're, like, helping God out, right? <laughs> but God is faithful, and we need to remind ourselves. God doesn't need our help. 
<laughs> he created the world all by himself <laughs> out of nothing. Um, let's look at Psalm 910 if you have it, if we could pull it up on the screen. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Okay, so does it say, um, well, first of all, when it say those who know your name, it's not like, oh, yeah, I can spell Lord, L-O-R-D. In the Hebrew, the connotation is intimate knowledge. It's not the, it's not the biblical knowing that's in Genesis in the beginning between Adam and Eve, but this is, like a, this is like a know. Like when I look at you, I know you. Like when I look at my brother-in-law, I know my brother-in-law. I don't just know that he lives in a house. He drives this car, and this is where he works. But I know him. It's the same idea here. When you know God, when you know God's character and the depth of his love for you and you grasp that, he will, you know that he will never forsake you. Does it say he will sometimes forsake you, but most of the time not? He's like an 80-20? No. Never forsake. Never that's an unconditional, universal promise that is good. You can take that to the bank. <coughs> All right. Number three, and how do we deal with the waiting? Sometimes it's simply because we're not ready to receive what God has in store for us. I wish we could sit here and read all 13 chapters because I did, and it was fun. <laughs> But you see the progression of Abraham. Abraham was, and he's lauded in Hebrews as, a, as one of the examples of faith. This guy was the definition of faithful. Even though he screwed up and he got his, his maidservant pregnant, right? He was going to help God. Okay, but even at that, though, when you start, because it goes from chapter 12 all the way, I think, to 25, the story of Abraham, okay? Those 13 chapters... There's a lot of character development, let's say, that happens. He, the stuff that we didn't get into was he lies about who his wife is. He says, oh, yeah, she's my sister to two, two kings because he's so worried about saving his own hide. He lies. He's got character deficits. He's got all these other issues, right? And so we see, um, we see a man that starts out in chapter 12, and he's kind of like, he's faithful, yes, but he's also all over the place. You know, and right after in uh, chapter 16 or 15 when he makes this covenant with God, 16 he helps God out and he doesn't believe God, right? And so he's all over the place. And finally, when we get to the birth, spoiler, when, he, when we get to the birth of his son, Isaac, he's a different man. At that point, he is ready to become a father of all nations and a spiritual father. Up to that point, though, he wasn't really ready. He was just kind of all over the place. And I'm sure, don't you think Abraham probably was like, God, what's up? You gave me this promise when I was 75, no spring chicken. Sorry, those of you that are, you can still be youthful at 75, but, you know, as far as procreation goes, you're not, you know. Okay, so, but God tells him at 75, and he waits 25 years. So when he's 100, he has a newborn son. I mean, just, it's nuts. It's crazy. 
It's only something that our God, our Yahweh, could do. Because it's the impossible, right? So, okay, so maybe you guys will think I'm horrible, but when I was little, you know, the ants, I, I'd like, <laughs> I'd get the ants and I'd hold them down. Not enough to squish them, but just so they would hold down and you'd see their little arms filling around. And just, they'd want to get up, right? Like, no, you're not going to get up. You stay right there. Okay, sometimes that's how it is with us and God. Like, we're like, God, okay, you gave me the vision. I'm ready to go. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And God's like, no, you need to stay here for a little bit. I need you to deal with some stuff internally. He doesn't ever squish us, although sometimes it feels like it, right? I did squish a few ants in my days, but he's just like, no, you're going to stay right here. And we're squirming. We're squirming, and we're exerting all this energy, and we're flailing. And God's like, no, I need you to sit still. And in that moment, in that time when we are sitting still, God's doing surgery on us. And it's painful and it hurts. And you'd rather be anywhere but there on the operating table. Anywhere but there. And it hurts and it smarts and it doesn't go away. But God's like, I love you so much that I want to keep transforming you into my son, to what my son looks like. That's how much I love you. You know, Sophia, a couple of weeks ago, man, I'm, I'm pretty good, I would say most of the time, in like uh, crises, but I totally lost it on our front lawn. Um, Sophia, I was, I was getting over bronchitis, <coughs> and um, sorry, <laughs> little phlegm. Okay, and so Josh had Sophia in the backyard, and they were playing, and um, Sophia asked dad, she's like, can I go play at Abigail's house? That's our neighbor's house. Our neighbor's. Lala, raise your hand. Come on. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> um, and so she thought, dad said, sure, go play over at Liz and Lala's house. So she runs, unbeknownst to us, out our front door over to the house to play. So... I'm like in the bedroom, just laying in bed, and I get up. I'm like, where's Sophie? He's like, she came in the house. I said, she's not here. So for 20, 25 minutes, we're looking for her. We are, and she likes to hide from us. So we're ripping everything out. We're pulling stuff out. We're going through the closets. We're looking under the beds. We're screaming. We run up and down the street. I'm in my pajamas. I haven't showered in two days because I'm feeling poopy. I just feel crappy, right? I have mismatched pajamas on torn bathrobe, my hair's greasy and nasty, and Josh and I are running up and down the street screaming her name. We can't find her. So finally, Josh goes, call 911, she's not here. And I was like, this isn't happening. What? <laughs> what? So I punched in 911, but I was so shaken, I couldn't, I didn't hit the call button. So finally, and he had already gone over to Liz and Lala's house, knocked on the door. Nobody came in the front door, so he's like, well, that. So he's like, I'm going to do it one more time. And for some reason, <laughs> the first time, the girls were in the house playing. They didn't hear the door. So finally, I guess Sophia heard us shrieking her name. And she comes running out, and I just lose it, and I fall apart in the front lawn. <laughs> I'm a big, nasty, greasy mess on the front lawn, and I'm sobbing. 
Because I was like, how would we even begin to try and find her? What would we even begin to do? Like if somebody just, if somebody had in fact come and swooped her up, I was just like beside myself. So we're sobbing. Okay, so anyways, of course, after I get over the initial like, I was like, I am going to beat her and I said a bad word. <laughs> Bebo. Josh is like, that's probably not called for at this point. She understands what she did. So we sit down, and I just, was, I just wanted to let into her, ground her for the next two years, take away all of her toys. And Josh was like, mm, I think she gets it. I think she gets it. And she, what she did, she was like, I'm so sorry. I caused you pain. I'm so sorry. That was grace in action there, right? That was grace. We, she didn't get what she should have gotten. Okay, so maybe that was the Italian in me came out a little bit too strong. <laughs> but Josh kind of intervened like that. That was like grace, right? But we did discipline her, and we led into her. And then we weren't doing it because we were being mean and cruel, but we wanted her to get the gravity of the situation and the importance of this moment. Don't ever do this again, because here's what could happen, right? And that's how God is with us. He's like, it was not a fun family day <laughs> after that. It was kind of just awkward, and we just were both like, oh my gosh, it felt horrible. And Sophia was weeping the rest of the day. <clears throat> so it was not a fun family day, right? We, we could have just swept it under the carpet and been like, all right, done, moving on, right? But we love Sophia enough that we wanted her to get how important this was. Don't ever let this happen again. And that's how God is with us when he's trying to transform us. He's like, I love you enough. This is painful for me to watch. But I don't want you to stay the same. I don't want my child to keep running off because she will get taken, <laughs> you know? And we love her enough to say, no, this is not okay. Don't ever do this again. And that's how God is. God's like, don't ever do this again. So sometimes when we have to wait, God's like, I love you enough. We're going to walk through the mud together. We're going to walk through the poop together, even if it's waist deep and it's stinky and it's uncomfortable. We got to do this. Because we can't get from here to there without walking through it. That's the only way to go is walking through it. And so sometimes when we're sitting there, we're like, God, this really sucks. This is painful. And I don't want to be here. We have to remember that God's faithful and that he loves us and he's gracious. And that when he calls us to transformation, it's not because he's sadistic and cruel. It's because he's called us to a higher place. He's called us to be a better, a better version of ourselves that he sees. We don't see it, right? Because we're down here. We have this view. But when we're up here, we see the 30,000-foot view. That's different. We go, oh, I get it now. I see it. That's, yeah, okay. I get it. All right. I can't get to where you want me to go. If I go this way, I have to go to the right. I can't go left. I get it now, God. I get it. <clears throat> In Hebrews 11:8 talks about how Abraham is considered the father of the faith because he allowed God to profoundly deal with him in some of his darkest, deepest moments. 
And so I would encourage you, you know, it takes, it takes courage to dream with God. Because usually God's dreams are like <laughs> impossible. But God's like, take my hand, let's do this together. Let's walk through this together. You know, the um, Indiana Jones is a temple of doom, right? And he has to go through these, to save his dad, he has to get the, was it the cup, this chalice, right? The, the, okay, anyways, make a party of one. Okay, but, so what he has to do is, he has to walk across this chasm to the other side, where this knight is, is guarding this cup, which is the cup of Christ, okay? And if his dad drinks out of it, and he gives it to the bad Nazi guys, everybody lives, right? But the problem is there's no bridge between this huge chasm. So Indiana Jones decides, I'm going to step out in faith. There's nothing. There's no bridge that I can see. There's nothing. There's no magic floating steps. There's nothing. So he takes, he closes his eyes, and he takes a step, and he steps out. And there's a bridge that, of course, because it's the movies, is like hidden, and you can't see it. But... And I think a lot of times dreaming with God is like that. It is scary, and if we look down, we'll get discouraged and run back and want to stay here. But God's like, I can't move you if you're not moving, you know? You have to be moving. I need you to take that step, even though it looks scary and it looks like there's nothing. Trust me because I am faithful. And if I have whispered these things in your heart, these goals, these visions, these dreams... I will be faithful to bring them to fruition because I am Yahweh. I am God. Um, can I have the band come up? And as they're coming up and the ushers to ush, <laughs> um, I want us to watch this video about dreaming.
want to encourage you to dream with God. It takes courage and it's scary, I know. But God's planted a seed in each one of your hearts. He's like, I have given you this dream, this vision. I need you to do it. I encourage you, step up. Say, God, I am shaking in my boots. I'm so scared. I don't want to do this. I was scared to do this. Every time I preach, I hate preaching because I'm like, I'm going to pee myself up on stage. I get so nervous. I'm like, I'm going to vomit. But God's like, I need you to do this. I have a message people need to hear. I need you to do this. What is God asking you to do? How is God asking you to step out and dream with him? I encourage you, be bold. That's what the essence of faith is, that we believe in something that we can't see, we can't touch. And guess what? Our God's in that, that's his business. That's what he does. That's what he specializes in. And we're in the family business. Let's be bold for Christ this week. And those dreams that maybe are dusty and they're tucked away, resurrect them, dust them off, and say, God, I'm scared. And you revealed this to me years ago. Resurrect this, please. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone sitting here in the name of Jesus. God, help us to be bold. Help us to get back in touch with those dreams. God, when we used to see in just Technicolor 3D surround sound, and now we see things on a small six-inch screen, Lord, in black and white, God, I pray, give us new vision, Jesus. Each person here, God, let us be bold in your name and reclaim those visions and those dreams, God, those things that you wanted us to do. I'll just pray for everybody here this week, God, that you would let them be bold in that. Whether it's ministering in their local Starbucks or going and starting their own nonprofit, God, whatever it might be, stir our hearts, God. Stir our hearts, I pray, God. Awaken those dreams in our hearts, Jesus. God, we, we commit this offering to you and thank you, God, for being faithful to us. We want to give back to you and say thank you, God. We want to be faithful to you, Jesus. We love you. In your name, amen.